0: The battle for Ohio democracy is on, coming to a voting booth near you in August. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, and Laura Johnston. We all know pretty much what the news is, but let's talk about it anyway. Did Ohio's Republican lawmakers get enough votes to enact their plan to reduce the value of voters and end majority rule on constitutional amendments? Laura?
1: Yeah, this is so disappointing. I really hoped that the good guys would win in the end. But the Ohio House approved this Senate joint resolution two by a vote of 62 to 33. All the yeses came from Republicans. Uh, five Republicans did vote no, including Tom Patton from Strongsville. But basically, uh, they they did two votes. One did they amend the resolution. So they put that August election back on the the table, and then they passed it. And then it went back to the Senate as a you know formality and then it was back so only 56 republicans actually voted for this amendment but that's all they needed and then 62 approved the whole thing which is i mean i still think it's unconscionable what they're doing but this would just make it harder for even a constitutional amendment to get on the ballot in the first place and for it to pass
0: so you were probably screaming so loud last night you lost your voice I think I'm screaming (laughs) at my kiss, three nights of Little League,
1: and this voice is not helping.
0: So look, this isn't automatic. Ohioans have to be complicit in reducing the value of their vote, of crushing our democracy. So everybody gets a say. I'm surprised, Laura, not that they did it for the wrong reasons. I'm surprised that a smart Republican or two didn't stand up and say, you know, this is a bad move because we're probably going to lose. I don't think this is going to work. Every group, except for a couple, have stood up against this. There are so many people that are against this including former governors former attorneys general the entire labor movement of Ohio and the message is clear they're trying to neutralize you neutralize the power of the voter yeah. their their only message is a lie this yeah, they're 100%, saying
1: 100% it is complete double speak it is like they're saying what would happen is what they're doing it is they are just right. lying
0: and I don't think you can get away with that. One, it's sleazy to put it in August when you've already outlawed August elections. And that'll be that'll be parroted. And they're saying this stops outside interests from affecting the Constitution when it is outside interests that are paying for the messaging to change it. And uh, mm-hmm. I look, this is this is a volleyball that has been served up to the people of Ohio Democrats. It, this is such an easy message to deliver Will they screw it up? Democrats well, and others in Ohio are so disorganized, but it's it's not just Democrats either. I mean, the, the police unions are not democratic. it's This is common sense,
1: absolutely. But the you know, the turnout in August elections is something like nine percent. And people, you know, we're going to be on vacation. I'm supposed to be on vacation. People need to pay attention to this. They need to vote early. I mean, it's one issue, right? It's not going to take you very long to vote. But these are lobbyists that are trying to erase people's vote in Ohio. And it's Ohio Right to Life. It's the the lobby that wants to vote down a a fair wage amendment. And the Ohio Right to Life spokesman actually yesterday called this a great day for democracy, which, oh my (laughs) gosh.
0: But hold on. Hold on. Yes. Voter turnout in August elections is really minuscule. We don't have issues like this on the August ballot. This is for everybody that worries about the Dobbs decision. This is a rallying cry to vote for everybody that prizes democracy instead of having an authoritarian government developing in in Columbus. This is a big issue. I don't think you can count on the low turnout. It it again. It comes down to messaging. I just don't think people are going to stay home. Young people aren't going to stay home. Women aren't going to stay home because this goes to the basic rights of Ohioans. Right. So,
1: and and let's. They're putting it in August specifically to defeat the abortion amendment. Like, let's mention that.
0: And if you're told that as a voter, you're going to think, well, I'm not going to let that work. I'm going to make sure I vote. And every the message will be everywhere about how to vote, how to get an absentee ballot, how to to do it. I mean, it, it's going to create a crackling summer of political coverage in Ohio. Uh, but I do think they're going to go down, and that will build momentum for the abortion amendment when it is on in November. Lisa, we were talking before the podcast. She said they're already taking money from outside the state to deliver a message that says this is to stop money from outside the state affecting our politics.
2: Right. From an Illinois billionaire. And I can't recall his name. It's not in front of me, but he gave over a million dollars to support this amendment. So it's it's crazy. But I, I do want to say that I was very heartened by the photograph I saw on cleveland.com where the inside the rotunda of the Capitol was full of people protesting this and people protesting outside. So, you know, because we were concerned. Layla was saying some of her friends didn't even know what was going on. I think mm-hmm. more and more people know what's going on.
3: I'm very concerned that that many people are unaware of, of how important this is. So everyone listening, please talk to at least one person mm-hmm. <laughs> about this. Mm-hmm. Spread the word. I mean, this is... And also, as they're gathering signatures for the the uh, reproductive rights piece, I, I hope that they're also, you know, talking to and, and passing out literature or whatever they need to do to let people know that this is a threat to to that vote in, yeah. <laughs> in November. I was
1: actually asked uh, there, I saw people signing for the fair wage, the minimum wage raising to $15 an hour. And those people should also be telling people because that would affect right. that. I mean, the, the opponents are the ones that want To make it harder, I was talking to someone, and they're like, "Well, if they think it should be so hard to change the Constitution, why don't they make it sixty percent for this one to pass?" Of
3: course, Mm -hmm. that's the greatest hypocrisy. If they believe so much in that sixty percent plus one threshold, build that into this. Well, make that the requirement for passage of this.
0: We should mention there is a legal issue. There were supposed to be two bills passed. One was because they passed a bill that Mike DeWine signed earlier this year. Outlawing August elections, the thought was they need a law to allow this to be a special election, which Mike DeWine would have to sign, which he already said he was. He has not shown character in this at all. But now they've skipped that. And so mm-hmm. I expect this will go straight to court saying, wait, wait you're violating your own law. The governor signed the law outlawing elections. He has got to sign the law making it possible again, and they've just skipped past that, and so it'll get tied up in the Ohio Supreme Court. And, of course, we know what those folks think. They don't care what the Constitution says. They'll violate it. Uh, Lots to come. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Today ends the national pandemic emergency, which means we'll have to pay for tests and shots and the like Seems like a good time to examine some of the lifestyle changes compelled by the pandemic that are likely to be permanent loneliness is one. Layla, what do the experts say?
3: Yeah, indeed. Sadly, loneliness and and a loss of social connection are among the, the lingering effects of the pandemic. And it isn't just a problem that older adults are facing. Of course, at the beginning of the pandemic, we were very concerned with how senior citizens would be coping with the isolation but Dr. Don Potter, who's a clinical psychologist at the Cleveland Clinic, said that actually older adults often are more accustomed to coping with loneliness, which is very sad to think about, because at that stage of life, you know, often their grown children have moved away, and many of their friends and family members have gotten sick or have passed. So it could be it could be that they are more adaptable in situations like what we've experienced during the pandemic, but that it's actually younger adults, who had a very difficult time rebounding from the loneliness and that being comfortable with using technology to communicate could actually be a detriment to us because it sometimes means we underestimate our need for in-person social interaction. For example, you know working from home was easy and convenience in many ways to have that flexibility, but think of all the lost interaction in the workplace and for someone just starting out their career, not forming those networks could be very harmful. So many young people come in for treatment for anxiety and depression, but what they often need is more social interaction, is what Dr. Potter said. This recent report by the Surgeon General detailed this epidemic of loneliness and said that we have to make this a public health priority now. And it called for people, for healthcare professionals, schools, workplaces, governments, community organizations, to consider the ways in which their their policies and messages promote social connection. And Dr. Potter said, you know, we just have to try to be more social, to put ourselves outside of our comfort zone sometimes and join activities that bring us in closer proximity to other people to overcome that habit that we have developed of isolating that the pandemic created.
0: I should say, not all of the stories we're doing on this are so depressing as this one. We do have an interesting right. one coming up on libraries. We have some things right. on shopping trends and, and others. But this is this is one of the, the permanent markers is that so many people are isolated now who were not before. Uh, and if they don't focus on it and work to get around it, we're, we're going to be a much more depressed society.
3: Yeah, I agree. I, I feel like in my own experience, you know, working from home for all those months, it sort of rewires you in a sense. I found that it was it was harder then to be social when the time came. It was harder to. Um, I I agree. It, it you have to put yourself outside your comfort zone and force yourself into those situations to to overcome that that you know. The draw back into isolation. And I think people keep them, their hands to themselves so
1: much more than they did before COVID. Like You don't hug people as much. You don't handshake as much. Mm-hmm. And I think it also speaks to the community that we've talked about before, the loss of a church community or, or social groups where people are, are feeling lost. And that's why they feel maybe so partisan in some of those hate groups we've talked about in the past, because they're looking for somewhere to belong.
0: Has have Layla has that changed since we've been back in the office? Do you feel like oh, I
3: think it's it's made a great difference to come back to the newsroom. I mean, even just getting dressed for work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, I mean, coming in and, and, you know, having those conversations has made a great deal of difference. And I'm sure that I'm not the only one who
2: feels that way. Well, we've yeah. lost our rituals. I mean, I'm retired and everything, but uh, you, when you lose your rituals, you know, you have to get those back. And sometimes it's hard to get them back.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah it's a good story, by Gretchen. It's on uh, cleveland.com. We'll be rolling out a handful of others over the next few days. You're listening to Today in Ohio. The last time we had a Senate race in Ohio, Republican candidates flooded the ticket almost two years out. Not so this time, Lisa. Why not?
2: Yeah, Republicans are in no hurry to challenge longtime Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown, who's been in office since 2006. We've only had two announced so far. Matt Dolan, the uh, state senator from Chagrin Falls, announced in January he is not seeking Donald Trump's endorsement. He's actually urging voters to move on from Trumpism. Uh, Number two is Bernie Moreno, the Cleveland businessman. And uh, he announced uh, just last month he's the father-in-law to U.S. Representative Max Miller of Rocky River, who's a former Trump aide, and he's believed to be the favorite to get Trump's endorsement in this race. But by this time in 2022, for the race for Portman's seat, there were already four in the race, and then J.D. Vance announced just pretty soon after that. So waiting in the wings is Secretary of State Frank LaRose, who is seriously considering. He said he will decide by midsummer. He thinks that Sherrod Brown is beatable, but it won't be easy. He says it will take the right candidate. Not sure if that's him. But uh, fundraising may be an issue for LaRose. They're saying you need at least $10 million for a Senate campaign, and he's got three young daughters, but he does have a new political team, and he's got a group called Leadership for Ohio Fund, which is a 527 group that can raise and spend unlimited amounts of money. And he says he may try for the Trump endorsement, but he's not really sure. So also, uh, U.S. Representative Warren Davidson from Dayton, he it's not visible yet, but apparently the Ohio Republican Party is convinced that Davidson will run They said, you know, some are considering going for the Congress seat that he will vacate if he does run. And there's a group called Club for Growth, which is a D.C. anti-tax group. And they say they will back Davidson if he decides to run.
0: We should point out that Frank LaRose is the architect of the first subject we talked about Mm -hmm. today, this idea of destroying Ohio's democratic principles by taking away majority rule and allowing 40% of the population to dictate policy for the other 60%. I think that's going to hang on him like an anchor. I don't see him having any chance to get this nomination, especially if that fails. We'll see. Mm Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Lisa.
2: No, I was just going to say, yeah, it, you know, if the if the party is worried that he can't raise enough money, I wonder, you know, how that's going to go. So, yeah, we'll see. And they're not expecting any other major candidates to step up. Mike Gibbons probably won't. He ran against Portman and lost. Jane Timken has said she's not interested. Josh Mandel is not interested. So it'll it might be a smaller field. We'll see.
0: I think LaRose might have been a credible candidate before he went total Trump. I mean, he's a secretary of state. And while he said Ohio ran safe elections, he kept making saying statements that wanted to cast doubt on the election in other states. He was becoming a pseudo election denier, which is ridiculous for a secretary of state. And now this latest anti-democratic movement, I just think it trashes his reputation as it should. You shouldn't as secretary of state be reducing the value of a vote. You're listening to today in Ohio. The values of homes in East Palestine have dropped because of the train derailment there. And Norfolk Southern says it's going to do something about it. What is it, Laura?
1: Well, they're going to reimburse people for home value they lose. But they have to sell it in order to get that money. So you can't just say, well, my house is worth less. I want more money now. So people who live within five miles of the derailment sell their homes for less than the pre-February appraised value. There's going to be a fund to reimburse them. How, how does
0: the appraised value get assessed, though? Is it going to be based on the county tax rolls, which are really never accurate, or is it going to be based on a true market evaluation?
1: I think there's going to have to be more details yet to come. There's still a plan to be developed. But I, I did look up some East Palestine real estate on Zillow, and there was a house listed for like $700,000, and the, the tax value was like $60,000. I'm like, what are they trying to pull off here?
0: <laughs> they're trying to get $640,000 from Norfolk Southern. <laughs> well, I, I i mean, I think they would be sued for this if they didn't try mm-hmm. to make good. It's all in the details, though. Are they going to actually make good on what the loss is? Are they going to try and play a numbers game? Uh, it's good that they're stepping forward. We'll have to watch and see if they are honest. It's today in Ohio. How many school districts have written a letter to Ohio lawmakers to fight back over the move to spend more money on private schools, Layla? Forty-three
3: urban school districts in Ohio, including Cleveland Metropolitan School District, signed this letter calling for them to fully fund now an education overhaul plan that they had planned on phasing in over six years and to make public schools the priority. The proposal that's on the table here includes several changes in education in the two-year state budget, which is, of course, under consideration. One is that they would change the threshold of family income eligibility for the EdChoice from 250% of the poverty level to 450%. So from the current 75,000 for a family of four to 135,000. And in the letter that the school district submitted, the, the public schools are arguing that changing that income threshold so dramatically basically means that anyone would be eligible to take their voucher and leave their public school district and, and that erodes the quality of public schools. It's especially unfair because the private schools don't have to meet many of the same state requirements that the public schools have to meet in terms of guaranteeing reading proficiency and testing for learning disabilities and things like that. Also, lawmakers would be phasing in the third and fourth years of this six-year implementation of the Fair School Funding Plan, which was developed to address inequity issues with Ohio schools funding. And we all know, of course, that the funding formula has been deemed uh, unconstitutional twice by the Ohio Supreme Court. So the plan would add at least $2 billion more per year to public school funding based on 2018 levels. Which were about eight billion dollars, but the districts that signed this letter—they want that plan to be fully funded now.
0: The problem is these are largely urban school districts, and the lawmakers at state house really don't care about what the urban districts have to say. Yeah, right? sure. They represent right. the rural areas, and they think the cities be damned. So, how much how much sway would this letter hold? Is it just to get it on the record that they opposed it in case there's a lawsuit?
3: I, I don't know. I mean, quite a few of the districts have signed on. But like you said, they, they, these are lawmakers who don't represent them and don't care about their interests. So uh, we'll see if it has any, any effect. It
0: is surprising the, the kind of abandonment of public school education they're talking about. I get that there are a lot of public schools that are not doing as much as they can to educate children. And so they're giving parents this alternative, but that is throwing in the towel and basically washing your hands of insisting Mm -hmm. on better public schools.
2: Well, they've been starving them for years, you know, that's why they're struggling, you know, with standardized testing and stuff. So this is the the rooster. uh, The chickens have come home to roost.
0: All right. And you could argue that it was their master plan all along to reduce the value of public schools. You're listening to today in Ohio. How is Senator Sherrod Brown stepping in on immigration policy and trying to preserve some of the status quo? Lisa, this seems like an odd position for Sherrod Brown to be taking.
2: Yeah, and this is not the first time that he and his fellow Senator J.D. Vance have been in agreement, although for different reasons. So Sherrod Brown announced bipartisan legislation that would extend Title 42 for two more years. And Title 42 was the pandemic-era immigration restriction, um, and that is set to end today. Tens of thousands of migrants, many of them from Venezuela, have been gathering at the U.S. border over the last week or so. Um, The Pentagon is sending 1,500 troops to support customs agents, homeland security is expanding detention capacity, resources and technology. The state department is opening a regional processing centers well centers across the uh, western hemisphere. But Brown says he did this because he says the border policies of Trump, Obama, Clinton and George W. Bush have all failed. We need more resources at the border, police, military, mental health professionals, inspectors and he says it's very troubling. And he says One of the reasons he wants to extend Title 42 is because people are still getting sick and dying of COVID, which was the reason for Title 42 in the first place. And J.D. Vance, in a statement, says, you know, we can choose enforcement and citizen safety, or we can let the cartels run roughshod over America. And he says the Biden administration chose fentanyl and destruction.
0: Yeah, you know, this rhetoric. At the base of this, though, is the idea... That people in other countries do have a right to ask for sanctuary in America. Title 42 pretty much blocked that, made it much, much more difficult to, to do. And so we've had these huge backups where people can't even can't even put applications in. The end of the pandemic policies was supposed to open that up a little bit. And Sherrod Brown is saying, no, I want to cake two more years of making it very difficult for people who believe they're in danger to seek sanctuary here.
2: I'm kind of in his camp though, because, you know, they are, you know, and they've been waiting for title 42 to be lifted. So like I said, they've been massing at the border. And I mean, people are sleeping on downtown streets in El Paso waiting to cross. And I mean, so I, I, I we we can't handle the flood. I don't think we can handle the flood no matter how many resources they surge down there. Okay,
0: you're listening to Today in Ohio. How close is Ohio to loosening up its child labor laws? Laura, we're going to put those youngsters to work.
1: All right. The 14-year-olds are going to save our economy because we want them to be able to work from 7 to 9 p.m. during the school year. And the full House could vote on this as early as today. Um, It's Senate Bill 30. It's passed out of committee. And, of course, it's still against federal law, so they want to pass a resolution to tell the U.S. government to change their standards, which, by the way, first went into effect in 1938.
0: Yeah, the... the... (laughs) We have a a labor shortage in America. We know lots of employers are looking for people to work. It's so strange to me that one state after another is rolling back rules that we put in almost a century ago to protect our children.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Arkansas, (laughs) Iowa, New Hampshire, New Jersey, and there's six more states that are considering this. This is part of a playbook that people are going after kids saying they should be able to work late into the evening. I, I find it abominable that we are trying to you know, make this part of a solution for basically not paying people enough that they want to work those hours. Let somebody else if, if they're great jobs and people want to work them, great. Don't make a 14 year old or a 15 year old who can't even drive a car go work these hours. And and Euclid Democratic Senator Kent Smith made, I mean, the point that I would make that if you want to address the work shortage, then increase access to child care. 20% of stay-at-home moms would enter the workforce if they had child care assistance. That could solve the labor shortage.
0: Well, right. We, and our story over the weekend about how uh, Quebec has done that demonstrated that. Their their rationalization for this is, well, it's up to the parents. If a parent doesn't want their 14-year-old to work, then, then they don't have to work. But I, it, this just opens the door for abuse of children and, and Layla made
1: the really good point last time that it's a lot easier to tell your boss i'm sorry i'm not illegally allowed to work than it is to be like oh my mom won't let me
0: mm. yeah i know so just dist- go ahead
1: Gov- governor dewine would have to sign it but i can't see him sticking up for kids he he really hasn't hasn't been doing that
0: even though he claims from day one as governor that I'm the child governor, he's going to put him into the sweatshops. It's, um, yeah, he's been a, an amazing disappointment. You know, we said after we didn't endorse him for the fourth term, and then he did a good job in the beginning of the pandemic, we regretted it. This time we endorsed him, and man, so <laughs> far, it's really cause for regret. He has been a nightmare in not standing up for basic Ohioans. You're listening to Today in Ohio.
3: Who's the new sheriff in town, Layla? Well, County Executive Chris Renane chose longtime Cleveland Division of Police Officer Harold Pretell as the next sheriff. He has 30 years of law enforcement experience. He's a former Marine who served in Japan, Korea, and California as a military police officer, He worked for the county sheriff's office briefly in 1990 as a corrections officer and then a deputy sheriff and detective before he joined the Cleveland police in 1994, and he's served the rest of his career there. He most recently served as deputy chief of Homeland Special Operations, and in that role, he oversaw the bureaus of special investigations, special services, and homeland services. And Ronaine said he was looking for a sheriff who understands the issues in the jail, of course, who understands the needs of the community related to public safety and who can partner with local agencies across the county. And he feels really confident that that this is the guy. He picked pretel out of four finalists for the job. And it all comes at a time when county council is debating this question of who should the sheriff's boss be? (laughs) Should he report to Ronane or should he be his own guy who doesn't need to ask permission to make decisions for the jail or his department? So yeah. that's where they are.
0: But that that's a preposterous debate because the voters said <laughs> right. the sheriff should answer to the executive. If county council wants that to change, they need to put a charter change on the ballot so voters can do it. The voters spoke. The sheriff answers to the county executive. If they pass legislation to change that, that'll end up in court. They're breaking the charter. It's just a bizarre one that we're even talking about this. It's, it's clear what the voters' intent was. Um, and... It, I, I, does, does county council approve this or is that done already?
3: Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I I don't know the answer to that if they have to approve this choice. I assume. I assume I so. They, I feel I like there is a confirmation requirement there. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I'm sure they'll ask him lots of probing questions to see who he wants to report to.
3: <laughs> yeah, right.
0: You're listening to Today in Ohio. This last one is a talker. John Kasich made the Ohio tourism slogan something that never rang clear Find it here. Find what here? It never made sense. Mike DeWine just changed it. What's the new slogan people will see as they drive into the state, Lisa?
2: Everything old is new again. So Mike DeWine is bringing back the old tourism slogan, Ohio, the heart of it all, which was used from 1984 to 2001. And he said, you know, it's time to expand beyond tourism. He wants this campaign to focus on tourism, but new residents, workers, and students to reverse our declining population. And he said, it's really time to update the old find it here slogan that was chosen by former governor, John Kasich. And he wants a more holistic approach to promoting Ohio. Ohio. TV ads began airing yesterday and saying that Ohio is the heart of technology, the heart of adventure. Ohio Department of Development Director Lydia Mahalik says they decided to revive it after speaking with tourism and business leaders and marketing experts. A lot of people still think it is the Ohio motto. And they say that heart of all has some equity to it. And they plan to ask for more money in the budget to attract workers. Um, So we'll see how that goes
0: the heart of it all always made sense, right? Mm -hmm. The the state is kind of shaped like a heart, Mm -hmm. right? We're in the center of the country, kind of. Mm -hmm. I mean, we are kind of the heart of it all. And you can do all the things they talked about, the heart of technology, the heart of manufacturing, the find it here, breaking with that just for the sake of breaking with it. It'd be like pure Michigan deciding let's avoid pure Michigan. Right. It's a winner. You don't give it up. Here's my thing. And I sent this out on subtext today. We talked after the podcast yesterday about what a mess the new Ohio license plate (laughs) is. You you pointed out, Lisa, that when you're driving, it's so busy, you can't even tell what's on it. The Mm -hmm. imagery is indiscernible. This logo is so clean. It Mm -hmm. looks great. Why isn't that the Ohio license plate? I have the monstrosity on my car. (laughs) I would so much prefer the clean look of this one. I just don't get why they're not. It's a great marketing concept, right? If Mm -hmm. you're driving across the country and somebody sees the heart of it all with that pretty logo, wouldn't that be better marketing than that
2: blur of watercolor paint? (laughs) Yeah, that muddy blur of color.
3: (laughs) I think the slogan should be unnecessarily fancy rest stops. (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> actually i should say i put a question on my text account about rest oh, stops we go. and i got almost 400 <laughs> responses which is a staggering number and every well it was mixed i mean most people were i'm in and out and i'd rather not spend millions of dollars on them i'd rather spend yeah, it on education and childcare. and i mean it was amazing to me how many people said we have much more, better needs for this but But I don't want to negate, there were a number of people that said, like Lisa, look, this is advertising for the state, and it is a place where if you want to take a break, you should be able to safely. Mm -hmm. One Mm -hmm. person said they regularly drive to Denver, and the shortest route is through Kansas. But they've changed their route because Kansas's rest areas are filthy and disgusting. Mm-hmm. So they've they've altered it. And they said, you know, we spend money as we drive to Denver. So the states we're driving through benefit from having good rest areas. So, as someone
1: who recently drove from Denver, it was not shorter to drive through ten,
3: Kansas. Just to be clear, well,
0: maybe, wherever <laughs> maybe. they're going in Colorado, they That's claimed, true. or maybe was, they live
3: somewhere well, else in,
1: in Ohio. Yeah.
3: I want to say there's a there is there is a a, a middle ground between filthy and disgusting and multimillion dollar <laughs>
1: upgrades,
3: and I'm sure we can find oh, and it. jeremy
1: Jeremy Peltzer is looking into this. He's supposed to be talking to some more tourism experts about it, and he knows that that restrooms are a hot topic, and people want to know more about them. I so we we're, not- we're going to bring you some more.
0: I could not believe I had I think what did I say Lord L- 270 responses like in within 90 an minutes. hour yeah yeah it was just whoa uh, I mean people and they're still sending them I'm you know I send out a text every day about something we're working on and what I'm getting this week is hey back to the restrooms and offering me the <laughs> you, you know
1: what Mike DeWine said about the find it here logo is that people were like using it for bad things like find it here like potholes and like mm. so you could be like. <laughs> I mean, and and
0: authoritarian legislators. Exactly. (laughs) I
1: see dirty bathrooms. I mean, yeah.
0: All right. That's it for today in Ohio for Thursday. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Laura. Thanks to everybody who listens. Friday wraps up the week of news.